Hello, welcome to the Healthy For Men podumentary series. My name's Tom Rowley. I'm the editor of Healthy For Men magazine. Before we get going, just a quick partnership announcement. This episode is brought to you by Bounce Foods. Now, Bounce's mission is to inspire positive change in the way people eat, think, and live, which is what the Healthy For Men podumentary series is all about. If you haven't tried Bounce Balls before, they're full of high-quality protein, high-quality vitamins and minerals, and they're great for when you're on the go and you need a quick snack. There's also a vegan option called V-Life, which are made from almonds and plant protein. Super tasty, super convenient. Grab a bounce ball from any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK or visit bouncefoods.com for more information. Hello, thank you for downloading this bonus episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series. My name's Tom Rowley, I'll be your host, but I'm also the editor of Healthy for Men magazine. And the latest issue is out now across any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK. Uh, in this issue, we've got Jason Statham on our cover. Uh, Jason discusses how Navy SEALs influenced his training and helped him be the muscular athletic man that he is today. We also explore the myths of nutrition. What is the best diet for you? Should you be cutting calories, cutting carbs? or cutting fat if you want to burn fat uh, and be the healthiest person that you can be. We also speak to Ryan Terry, the bodybuilder who won the prestigious Arnold Award last year. And this year he's going for first place in Mr. Olympia. Uh, Ryan's got some fantastic training tips that you can take on board if you want to build muscle and look the best you can be. We also offer the ultimate guide to building a stronger core. Uh, it is a functional guide, but also if you do want a set of abs, then this will help you get there too. In this bonus episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series, we speak to Joel Snape. Now, Joel is a regular contributor to the Healthy for Men magazine. And in this current issue, Joel has written a fantastic piece called Library of Action, in which he shares his 30 essential books you need to increase your health and fitness. Okay, so today we're with Joel Snape, who is a, a regular writer for Healthy for Men. Joel, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. No problem. Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. Um, so today uh, we wanted to talk about uh, mainly a feature that you've uh, written for us recently, um, where you've chosen mm -hmm. your favourite 30 books um, that have inspired yep. you. Um, but we'll talk about sort of five books from the feature. And, um, but before we get into that, uh, how long have you been a journalist for, Joel? I've been a journalist since I was 21, I think, although I started out in video games journalism, mm -hmm. oddly, straight from university, but then kind of got into fitness journalism about 10 years ago. But before that, I guess I was always into martial arts, which was my like way into fitness, really. I sort of did, I did like capoeira and jujitsu at university and then a bit of wushu and then sort of kickboxing and Brazilian oh. jujitsu and all that kind of thing. So I was kind of kept a bit of an eye on what would keep me in the best shape for that and played around with CrossFit and then that kind of segued into a fitness journalism career. Wow, okay, so I mean, the video games to uh, fitness is quite an extreme Yeah, it was a bit of, of a jump, you know. Yeah. I guess the unifying thing was that I always played a lot of like Street Fighter and things like that and suddenly, <laughs> and that somehow segued into a love of doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial arts. Very interesting. So you, you still do martial arts now, don't you? Yes, yeah, yeah, I still do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've got my brown belt now, so I'm sort brown of belt? Okay. slowly plugging my way through the belts, yeah. So that is at what level is a brown um, belt? So there's, uh, you start at one, and then it goes blue, purple, brown, black. Uh -huh. So 
I've been doing it like more than a decade though. Like a lot of people take less time to get to where I am, you know, it right. takes a while. Yeah. Okay. Is that because of your, your family, um, yeah. obligations? Let's say that. Let's yeah. say that. Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of commitments. Other commitments. <laughs> awesome. So, um, who's your favorite author? Favorite overall author or fitness Let's talk author? about health and fitness. Yeah, who's your favorite health and fitness author? That's a good question. I think um, probably I would say a guy called Michael Hutchinson, who is uh, a cyclist, used to be a very competitive, right on the cusp of Olympic mm -hmm. stardom um, cyclist, but I don't think ever quite got there, but he's kind of channeled his love of all things cycling into a series of very good books about what it takes because it's very rare I think that somebody's a good writer mm -hmm. and has performed at the highest level of something so to have somebody who can articulate what it takes to do that is quite rare and he's really good at it so how does he write so he writes about cycling um, he's written a couple of books that I've got on the list so uh, he did uh, an attempt on the hour which I don't know if you're you know about is the only from your your feature right so yeah it's where you for anybody who doesn't know it's where you try to cycle as far as you can in an hour which mm. people just do on a track just doing lap after lap after lap it sounds awful uh -huh. um and he had a fairly serious go at that spoilers he didn't make it um right. a few years ago but he wrote really well about that he's there's another book on the list called faster which is just his kind of overall breakdown of everything that cyclists have ever tried in the pursuit of going faster, be that the suits that they wear, the kind of bike design, mm -hmm. different kinds of training, the marginal gain stuff that's really popular these days. But, you know, he's, he's just got a very entertaining way of writing yeah, yeah. and he's quite self-deprecating and a seems like a very nice man we like self-deprecation i think yeah. that's important yeah uh yeah it shows integrity i think mm -hmm. and uh yeah honor so um do you think it's important for people to read books about health and fitness if they are into health and fitness yeah i think um i kind of decided to like make a conscious effort to get more into reading a couple of years ago um because i was kind of i kind of became conscious that i my first activity in the morning was to reach for my phone and go mm. on social media um, instead of just, you know, reading an improving book or whatever. Um, and it's so I kind of deliberately decided to change the habit. I sort of left my phone in another room, left a book on the bedside table, that kind of thing. Because as a journalist, especially, I think it's really important to read a lot so that you can kind of always have ideas fermenting in your brain so that you can be looking for connections between things that Absolutely, yeah. not everybody's necessarily seeing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just try and read a lot generally. I think if you are into health and fitness, it makes a lot of sense to just try and educate yourself a little bit about what it is you're doing. You know, it's very easy to um, follow other people's cookie cutter plans. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if you're in, if you're into fitness for the long haul, you might as well, um, kind of get to grips with the actual science of what you're doing. Yeah. Just, even if it's just a little bit, I think we were talking to this before we start, before we started the podcast, but if you're doing four hours a week in the gym, mm -hmm. it might actually be worth your while to occasionally knock an hour of that out and just sit down read something by, somebody who's very well respected in the field and just expand your knowledge a bit so that within those three hours that you've got left, you really know that you're getting the biggest bang for your buck. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah. So you can spend those three hours with that inspiration and that focus, mm-hmm. I suppose, from the, from the knowledge that, you, that you've gained. Absolutely. Or just from someone else's story that has been like, okay, they've done this. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be so hard in, in the grand scheme of things. I can overcome. I can, I can get my PB this time or whatever. Absolutely. Because I think like everybody quotes that thing where they go, you're the sum of the five people you hang around the most. Yeah. But what if you don't have five inspirational people to hang around with? You know, I think one way to get that is from both. Books. You know, you read a book by Dan John or Mark Ripito, you read about these guys who've done great things in the past and you mm-hmm. go, okay, so people are capable of more than I see at my local, like Pure Gym or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, you can push yourself harder. There are people out there doing this stuff. Exactly, yeah. Have you ever read a book that you thought, actually, this is kind of bad advice or... I've yeah a few I think uh, I've read I've read books about guys doing stuff that I certainly wouldn't try or recommend uh-huh. and I and I've read ones where I've gone actually I don't think that's true right um, yeah bad science bit of bad science yeah, yeah. yeah. just uh, what you get in the self help sphere is a lot of authors going oh I've trained special forces guys and Olympians but they won't tell you who and and I'm that always makes me a bit skeptical yes I'm like, yeah oh, okay. Yeah, you yeah. one time trained with a marine, and now now you're an expert. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was well. Actually, um, there's a trainer to the stars who trained uh, sort of Hugh Jackman and and all those guys. You probably know who he is, but now mm-hmm. he can't say that he's trained these people. So any time I I read something by him, he's always like, "Well, I've trained a few people in Hollywood mm-hmm. or whatever." I know that he has done mm-hmm. because I I know him from a time when he was allowed to say that, but now due to some contractual obligation, um, so. Maybe it's good to be sceptical, but perhaps there's some kind of legal thing that yeah. why they can't talk about it. Sometimes, like yeah. That. Maybe so. Yeah. Well, let's get into your top five okay. uh, books for essential health and fitness reading. To start with, we've got uh, Matt Fitzgerald's Iron War. Yeah. So um, Iron War is about, um, that was actually the name given to the greatest um, Iron Man race of all time, which mm. was between Mark Allen and... Dave, I can't remember his surname, that's terrible. Uh, Dave Scott. Dave Scott. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of, Dave Scott was the uh, champion of the race for years and years coming in. He'd beaten Mark Allen a lot of times. They had wildly disparate training philosophies. Dave Scott was a kind of just always do more volume, train harder, you know, just grit it out kind mm-hmm. of guy. Mark Allen was very holistic. He was into kind of <clears throat> eating, you know, healthily in a kind of, I don't think he was a vegan, but that kind of thing. Uh Um, And, you know, meditation and breathing techniques and stuff like that. Um, And they kind of, I think they respected each other. I don't think they necessarily liked each other. Uh And it was just a completely insane race. They kind of went almost all the way through the race like right next to each other, way out ahead of the rest of the field. So Matt Fitzgerald, who's a journalist, um, sort of talks you through the whole race over the course of the book, but then intersperses that with the training science and theory of what they were actually doing and and why they were able to do it in a way that's, it's just really entertaining. If you don't know what happened in the race, it's worth not finding out before Uh, you read the book because that makes it even more exciting. I can imagine, yeah, you've written there, avoid spoilers. Yeah, yeah. from 1989. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you managed to live under rock uh, since then, then good times. Um, so next on the list, we've got uh, Dan John's uh, Never Let Go. Not Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. No. But Never Let Never Go. Never Let Go. I don't know what the title's a reference to there. But so Dan John, I think that book is a very good example of the kind of thing I'm talking about where 
if you've got an hour spare this week, rather than just go and throw around some Tabata intervals or whatever, go and read Never Let Go. It's a very quick read um, and it will change your perspective on training, both in the things that you do and I think in the sort of approach that you take to it, like how hard you can go. Um, Dan John kind of, he invented the goblet squat, which is a huge thing in gyms around the world. I think mm-hmm. it's been picked up a lot now. Um, he really popularized the idea of doing kind of sled drags and loaded carries and things like that, which you see a lot of trainers recommending now. They've really come to the fore in the last few years. Um, and he he's kind of a strong man. He's trained a lot of guys um, at the sort of collegiate level to be better at... Uh, sort of throwing, running, power stuff. And he's just got a really kind of refreshing take on it and, and simple ways to do it. So this is kind of a collection of lots of different ideas he's had over his career. He's actually written quite a few books and they're all well worth reading, but this is definitely the one to start with. So is, is the, sorry, this might be a little bit out of your um, knowledge zone, but mm-hmm. is the goblet squat particularly good for discus throwers? Do you know why that would be? I don't know about for discus throwers. I think generally the goblet squat is great. Like Dan John actually says the goblet squat might be all the squat a lot of people need. And I tend to agree with that for a lot of reasons. So what you see in gyms typically is like the back squat used to be the thing to do, right? The barbell back squat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've done a lot of barbell back squatting. It's, mm-hmm. So uh, Mark Ripito, who is also in the list somewhere, loves it and says that's all you should be doing basically. But the problem with it is it's easy to get the form wrong. Like when you start getting heavy, you can load at the bar and end up bending forward mm-hmm. too much. A lot of things can go wrong. If, you're, if you've not got very good flexibility, it's, it can be hard to do it with the correct form. It's a bit like any compound move. You've got to yeah. think about so many different mm-hmm. areas, so many variables that yeah. affect it. But I really, I think it's very hard to do the goblet squat wrong. Like the general idea, it's, so if you're listening to this and you don't know, the the goblet thing comes from the idea that you're holding a dumbbell at one end, almost like it's a big medieval goblet. And then you're squatting down until your elbows kind of touch the inside of your knees. And the thing about that is, firstly, it's very difficult. You can't lean forward in the same way you would in a bad barbell back squat because mm-hmm. you'll just lose control of the weight. You have to keep your chest up. Um, and secondly, the kind of what, the position of the weight, because it's in front of you and held between your arms, almost pulls you down into a good anatomically correct squatting position. Uh-huh. And it will really help out your kind of hip, ankle and knee flexibility mm-hmm. in a way that's really beneficial for a lot of people. Like yeah. if you're having problems with hip mobility, it's almost like a kind of loaded stretch. And you can do it with a lot less weight than you would do for a back squat and it'll still have positive effects, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I recommend it to anybody. So you you uh, often I do squat, I do goblet squat every time yeah, I'm yeah. in the gym yeah even Excellent. if it's just a warm up yeah and you can't see Joel right now but he uh, is obviously in very good shape am, so yes. it works so, <laughs> so, thanks <laughs> very much <laughs> his modesty is not on point but it's fine <laughs> so next on the list we've got um, assault on Lake Casitas by Brad Allen Lewis now I've never heard of this book before yeah. Uh, it's quite a, would you say it's an underground kind of experience? I would, I would say it's pretty obscure, yeah. Mm. So um, the way I heard of this book was I went on a seminar with Jim Jones, not the... The rapper? No. <laughs> um, the guys who did, uh, do you remember 300, the film? Oh, yes, yeah. So they were the guys who invented the 300 workout that was very popular for a while. Yeah, and was it the Spartan, was it called the Spartan workout? Was uh, well, it was, so it was, they, they had one workout called 300 right. there was 300 reps of like pull-ups and deadlifts and box jumps and things that they used as kind of Horrid. a test for the guys who did 
who trained for the film. So they mm. trained up everyone for the film. Uh, the Jim Jones guys, are st- I think, still train like all the cast of the DC films, like Batman, Superman, all that mm-hmm. business. I might not be allowed to say that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I went on a seminar with them. They love rowing. Uh, they all do a lot of rowing on the Concept 2 machine. Um, and Mark Twyter, who was the original founder of Jim Jones, kind of said, you've got to read this book. And I went away and ordered it straight away. And it is fantastic. It's about a guy, uh, Brad Allen Lewis, Failed to get in the uh, US rowing team for, I think, the 1984 Olympics, it might have been. Um, And didn't get in on the kind of qualifiers. Uh, I can't remember why, I just messed up for some reason. So uh, he missed the team selection, but the way it works is he managed to go away, scrounge his own boat, find another partner for the Coxless Twos, and compete against them in the sub compete against the like official American team in the subsequent qualifiers for a place in the Olympics. Wow. Which it's a minor spoiler to say that he won, but he did win. Uh-huh. And then he went on to the Olympics. Um, and it's just yeah, again, it's just a book about like what you can do if you're really prepared to throw yourself completely yeah, into yeah. something. And also, I just think the way he describes rowing is maybe the best description I've ever. Uh-huh. seen that anyone come up with of a sport you know he really gets the nuts and bolts of what it feels like to do something at a really high level um and have it take almost everything out of you just do you just think like if you're great. you're not a rower you've never been rowing do you think it might uh inspire you to take up i mean i wasn't very into rowing before i read it i mean i've still never been in a rowing boat out on the water but it did inspire me to do a lot more um rowing in my workouts which i think I think there's something really unique about go. Have you been on the row much, Tom? Uh, no, I've not. No. Have you? Have you uh, ever? Like, have you ever rowed a two k? No time. No. So the two k. So most, I think, all the Olympic races are two k, um, and rowing a two k for time. So with the Jim Jones guys, it's kind of a rite of passage, mm-hmm. um, and they suggest that you should be able to do it in seven minutes or less, which is kind of. Kind of like, if, if you can do that, any rower will kind of give you mm-hmm. a bit of respect. It's very, very hard, especially if you're, I'm quite short and I have short legs. Um, so yeah, my I did it once and my mouth tasted like blood for about a day afterwards. No way. So, um, but you know, there's, there's something about rowing, I think uh. that you, it feels completely different from running um, in the kind of toll it takes on your body. And it's just, and also it's a good, it's a good upper body form of cardio, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody should do a bit more pulling in their workouts, uh-huh. generally speaking, to balance out all the benching or press-ups or whatever. Definitely. Um, yeah. So does being a little bit shorter um, hinder your rowing skills in some yeah, way? Yeah, it's terrible for rowing. Well, if you look at Olympic rowers, all the best guys are like at least 6'3 and enormous. Um, and I'm about five seven, and I also have very short legs for my height, uh-huh. as my wife keeps <laughs> reminding you. Yeah, reminding me. <laughs> um, you, if, is there an, has Brian Allen Lewis written any other books at all? Yeah, he's there? written a bunch of books. He's written so there's another one called Lido for Time fifteen thirty nine or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a book of his workouts for the year leading up to the Olympics, annotated with his thoughts. Um, which is a lot more readable than that sounds. Uh, I really enjoyed that. He has done another one called Wanted Rowing Coach, which is about him uh, coaching another collegiate mm-hmm. team. And there's a lot of like interesting stuff in there. And then he's written a couple of fiction books. And he's a very nice man as well. I once wrote to it. I wrote to him to say how much I enjoyed it. It was sort of like Casitas. And he sent me an autographed copy of his new one, just for no reason other than that. What a nice dude. Yeah, he's a lovely yeah, yeah. dude. So it sounds like that's kind of... Um 
not changed your life, but in, in a way it's... Yeah, uh, I think it's totally had a big impact on the way I think about training yeah. and, you know, and it's just a great book as well, you know, really fun read. That's awesome to hear. Uh, so next in the list, uh, we've got Grit by Angela Duckworth. Yes. So um, Angela Duckworth is a psychologist and researcher um, in kind of the field of, well, she's, I think she's come up with this term grit, uh, which is, she uses to describe this, like what it sounds like, the idea of persistence and stamina in the face of difficult tasks, which she argues is kind of the, the most important factor in success almost anywhere. So it could be, you know, school kids, it could be graduates of the West Point Military Academy, um, it could be like people in different professions. Um, sticking with it is what she says is most important, basically. Um, so and is this, it tenacity? Is that what grit is? Yeah, is yeah, basically. Just being able to kind of get after it and, and keep going and not be discouraged in the face of things going wrong. Yeah, yeah. So when um, did you read the book? I read it, I think I read it last year. Oh yeah, I read it when I had a new baby. I read it in about one night of just carrying the baby around. Did it help you uh, raise your (laughs) child? Put up with the grit? Um, uh, You know, it's not not that bad having a new baby. It's not like being at West Point Military Academy, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, One reason I really like this though, well, she's got a TED talk actually that's, that's sort of a good introduction to this, which is worth looking up if you're interested. But also I'm a big fan of... Um, scientists writing their own books. So there's a lot of people banging out self-help books based on kind of flimsy interpretations of other people's research. Um, So actually there's another book on the list, uh, Peak by Anders Ericsson is another book I recommend because the 10,000 hours rule, you've you've heard of the 10,000 hours rule, um, has been, I think, misinterpreted a lot by a lot of different people. And Peak is actually written by the scientist who kind of did the research that that rule was based on. So, so he, people interpret that 10,000 hours as mm. you just need to, once you put in those 10,000 hours, then you'll be successful, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, But the idea that it's 10,000 hours is the kind of misinterpreted bit, I think, mm. because, um, well, it was Malcolm Gladwell that came out with the book that kind of popularised it. And he said, yeah, you need to put 10,000 hours into anything. Was it Outliers? Was that the yes, book? it was Outliers. Um, and he says, you know, so he says, like, anyone... His misinterpretation of the research was basically to say, you, if you're a classical musician, you need to put in 10,000 hours. And, you know, if you do that, you will be amazing. Um, but if you don't, you haven't got a chance kind of thing. And Anders Ericsson, who's the scientist who did that, that research, actually says it was more like it was a range, like the very top violinists in the world, for mm. instance, um, do anywhere between 7,000 and 15,000 hours to get to that position. And so there's no there's no guarantee that 10,000 is going to get you there. No. Also, like, it has to be a very specific sort of practice, which is something he talks about, which is not necessarily the same as what gets talked about in a lot of the books. But also, um, you you don't necessarily need that much. It depends on the discipline you're doing. So yeah. violinists need to do a lot of practice. Chess players need to do a lot of practice because they're competing against people mm-hmm. who are also putting in enormous amounts of practice. If you're doing a sport that's less popular or less technical, let's say you're a power lifter, you, you, you don't need 10,000 hours because like the lifts aren't that technical to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and also other people, you know, you can't put in that much time because recovery becomes a thing, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of reasons. So, 
So the real lesson is you need to do very specific types of practice um, targeted at the thing you're doing mm. and how much you need to do is going to depend on what everybody else in the field is doing. Oh, exactly. You have to tailor your, your training, nutrition, everything. It's all about tailoring it to, mm -hmm. to exactly what you do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So putting a blanket sort of 10,000, I suppose uh, it, what Malcolm Gladwell was trying to do was inspire people to you know, put in a certain amount of time to achieve mm -hmm. what they want. But yeah. in the reality, uh, it's about tailoring that, isn't it? Yeah, I think the lesson's still relevant, you know, and I think that, I think Malcolm Gladwell's book inspired a lot of people, which is great. Um, and, but the real message is you can get better at anything you want to if you practice, you know, there's, is there such a thing as innate talent? Like maybe there is, maybe a lot of different things feed into it, mm -hmm. but, but you can always get better at anything. Um, but yeah, so the, but another thing to go back to the Duckworth, there's a sort of competing idea, um, that flow is a big thing. Have you heard of flow? Yeah. Of flow? So big, big with tennis players, isn't it? Well. Yeah. So there's this other uh, researcher called, uh, I want to say it's pronounced me high, chick sent me high. Um, and he says that the kind of experience of top sport in performance is characterized by this thing called flow, which is where you get to the top level of anything, it, it almost feels effortless. You know, you're having a great time. So tennis would be a good example, I think, because nobody at the nobody when they're playing at Wimbledon or whatever is having a terrible time. I think they're kind of immersed in the moment. They, you know, they're not thinking about mm -hmm. every shot. They're just doing what they've trained for thousands and thousands of hours to do. So that's interesting because flow is fun, according mm. to uh, Csikszentmihalyi, whereas deliberate practice, according to Anders Ericsson, is very difficult and unpleasant. It's, it's torture. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's very difficult to sustain. Um, and that was something I always wondered about because I was like, well, that's two very different ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and Angela Duckworth did something very interesting because she managed to get both of those guys in a room together and have them debate between each other. Um, and it was apparently a very cordial debate wow. um, about their different ideas. And basically the conclusion they came to is that kind of flow is about performance and uh, grit or, you know, this, you know, deliberate practice is about practice. So you put in the hundreds or the thousands of hours of one thing, but then hopefully you're going to hit this level mm -hmm. where when you perform it, where you do, you know, it could be Brazilian jiu-jitsu, feels effortless. And that's kind of... Yeah, I really like that idea. I I appreciate that Angela Duckworth put in the time to like get those guys together and consolidate their ideas. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, that sounds like an incredible conversation. Yeah. Uh, so it was is that sort of transcribed in in the book? Yes, she talks about that in grit. Um, and it was it was the thing I've been thinking about for a couple of years before I read it, and then and then I read it, and I was like, oh, somebody's actually done this. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Can you listen to it or, or watch it at all? Uh, it might be on Audible. I'm not sure. Oh, the conversation between the two guys yeah, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know actually um, she just gives you the kind of highlights, highlights and thing. Yeah. I'm sure it's it's bound to be somewhere though. Yeah, yeah. Got to we'll dig that up from somewhere definitely and the last one of your your top five um, for essential health and fitness reading is Faster by Michael Hutchinson yeah so this is the guy I was saying is my favourite author mm -hmm, here um, he is. and this is yeah, just a great book by him. Uh, he talks about just everything that man has done in the pursuit of cycling speed. And I think it's just, I think it's interesting because it's fun, but I can barely ride a bike. Um, and I still found it interesting because it made me think about what 
you can do in the pursuit of greatness in anything that you do. So, you know, if you want to be like, I would like to be better at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, but that doesn't extend to just what you do in the gym. It extends to kind of what you eat, mm-hmm. how, you know, what kind of mindset training you're doing, how much sleep you're getting, whether you're prepared to like go home and watch video footage of other guys doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and even to an extent, you know, what you'll do kind of in your, in the rest of your life to ensure that you can train at the level you want to, you know? So I think, I think this is just a really inspirational book because it reminds you of the lengths that some people go to, to be good at the thing they want to be good at. It's interesting you say, because as you say, you're not a cyclist yourself, neither am I. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I perhaps don't pick up many cycling books or any at all because mm-hmm. of that very reason. But I think from this conversation, what I've got really from talking about all these books is that no matter what you're into, no matter what your you know preferred sport is or, or workout or whatever or lifestyle, um, actually, if you read about something that is kind of out of your comfort zone, you can use that information, pull it in and you can really use it as inspiration and uh, as knowledge. Yeah. Um, or it might inspire you to actually take on that, that yeah. sport. Or- Absolutely. Well, I, there's probably about four cycling books on that list, actually, mm-hmm. strangely, because yeah. I, I think cycling just inspires really good books. And there's something about cycling, like the mentality of it and the fact that it's a sport mainly based on how much pain you're prepared to put yourself through exactly yeah. uh, compared to everyone else that really lends itself to to being written about because a lot of it is internal it's actually quite difficult to watch on tv because it seems like nothing's happening for hours but if you mm-hmm. read a book about a good race people can really suck you into the narrative um yeah so but yeah i think i think there's almost any sporting but you can kind of pull if it's well written and mm. you know gets the ideas across you can kind of pull things from it to apply to your own experience and Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And I'm really looking forward to reading all 30 on your, on your incredible feature. Um, so maybe we'll talk in another 15 years when I've gotten through them uh, and see how much my life has changed. Sounds good. Excellent. Well, Joel, thank you so much for coming in and uh, sharing your top five books um, with us. Also, thank you for your incredible feature of called the Library of Action, uh, which you go into great detail about 30 essential books for, for health and fitness. It's a really great piece. So uh, yeah, give it a read. Um, Joel, it's been a pleasure. All the best. Thank you very much. See Thanks for letting me talk about books for half an It's hour. completely it's our pleasure. Fun. It's fascinating. So thank you very much. Thank you for downloading this bonus episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series. And thank you, Joel, for coming in and talking about your feature, The Library of Action, and sharing your top five health and fitness books. So Healthy for Men is out now in any Holland & Barrett store throughout the UK. So please grab a copy. Also, episode two of the Healthy for Men podumentary series is coming at the beginning of July. In this episode we comprehensively explore veganism is it good for you is it bad for you can you be a bodybuilder on a vegan diet please subscribe to our social channels at healthy for men uh, for more information on any of the issues discussed today Uh, and we'll see you next time on the healthy for men podumentary series thank you very much